0: Hello. <laughs> and and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rihanna Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to. A fairly simple premise. Welcome. <laughs> hello. I always love how weirdly I say welcome. I've never said welcome like
1: that ever. I love how weirdly I say hello. I go, hello. hello. As if I'm like, Singing, I don't know why. What's wrong with just hello? The pressure to make myself sound more interesting with my hello.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, (laughs) my intro is always so much louder than the rest of my speaking. So I'm clearly trying to be like, "It's me, (laughs) hi."
1: you? I'm good thank you not so bad. Did
0: you watch The Queen's Gambit? What did you think of that?
1: <gasps> oh my god I was obsessed. I was thinking about that just before we came on. Was that last episode that you spoke about that or was it the one before? I think it was last, I think episode, it was the last episode that you gave that as a recommendation. <laughs> oh my gosh so we were doing the classic scrolling through Netflix and other platforms to try and find something new and I saw that me and Sam just both stopped and looked at it and were like that looks really different chess what? And yeah we watched it Pretty quickly. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so different, but also a really enjoyable easy watch whilst throwing up so many new things. And it was just so brilliantly performed. You're right. Anna Taylor Joy is just incredible. I've since realized there's lots of other things that I've seen her in that I didn't realize that was her, like Peaky Blinders and things like that. I totally hadn't realized that was her.
0: Oh, is she in Peaky Blinders?
1: Yeah, she's really great. But yeah, oh, thank you for that recommendation. It was no, so enjoyed. And it seems like the world has gone crazy on it as well. It seems so popular.
0: I'm so glad. I I was thinking about it, actually, this week, about how delightful it is to have a story about a young woman growing up that isn't all based around sex and relationships. Like, obviously, that's part of it, but it's Mm. not at all predicated on it. It's just all about her mind and so little about her body. Totally. I just really appreciated that, actually. It's weird that that should be new feeling
1: Totally And it's it's a weird thing to then have to enjoy actively Because it shouldn't be, like you said But it is, it's still refreshing and nice to watch And, and one thing I said to Sam when we were watching it was At one point I got really angry Because I was like, isn't it so annoying how The first, you know, spoiler alert coming up <laughs> The first part of the series is all about This young, brilliant child And, you know, when she goes to those first chess tournaments And things, the men really dismiss her, laugh her Even hate her for being there And then as soon as she's older and beautiful and able to be sort of sexualized in their gaze, they all think she's the best thing since sliced bread. And I was like, it's so frustrating to watch. I mean, that's me being really hypercritical of the situation because I know they just couldn't handle her being brilliant because of her age. But effectively, she always had her brilliance. But as a mm. child and as someone that they, you, you know, you can't sexualize in a normal scenario. Therefore, she was an irritation to them. It wasn't nice that she was so good at what she did. It was unfair. It was wrong. It was, didn't fit in. And as soon as she was older and more glamorous and more into like her clothes and her fashion and she was so beautiful, suddenly she's really interesting and exciting because she's got the brilliant brains. And now we can all fancy her as well. <laughs>
0: Oh, you're, that's so interesting, actually, that maybe, in fact, the sexlessness that I was interpreting is much more to do with her lack of interest in sex. Yeah, but actually, I agree. Actually, yeah, when you think about the kind of characters that pop up in her life, once she becomes Anya Taylor-Joy, those those interactions are very sex or kind of lust based from the men's perspective
1: yeah Yeah, that's so true and I'd be really interested to have in an alternate universe to have watched it without her becoming beautiful and glamorous and enjoying fashion and high society you know I'd have loved Mm. to have I wouldn't criticize the show because of this because I loved what it did and I think everything she chose to do in terms of her looks and her fashion genuinely was for her so I don't think it's a, a criticism of the show but I would just be curious about an alternate universe where she stayed the more you know mm. traditional in inverted commas geeky chess player and and was never a beautiful breathtaking front of a magazine cover girl would the story have have led the same way I'd be hopeful it, it would because her brilliance obviously is what she's famous for but it just I thought it was really interesting that the gaze shifted so much as, as she got older
0: yeah for sure i tell you what because i feel like a couple of films i've watched recently in fact a lot of them have anya taylor joy in them but they all have this really beautiful green palette in the 70s home that she shares with her adopted mother there's just like Mm. such amazing greens and i feel like just this green keeps on sticking in my head i think it's quite a fashionable color to be used in films at the moment there's something about that kind of acid i think it's this type of green that i think it's arsenic green is it it used to be used i'm probably gonna get this wrong it was used to be used for putting on watch handles or something and all the women that used to paint the watch handles would always lick their brushes to get the nice point and then they would turn this green that arsenic
1: green oh wow
0: i don't know if that's just a story i've just totally made up oh if it is it's a
1: good one i like it (laughs) yeah so nice to see so many set, including that color (laughs) Nice. I must admit, it's something I've tried to more actively do with my watching at the moment. I guess you have a good eye for it. Having that kind of second string to your bow doing the work on set design and art design and that sort of thing, you're probably much more able to automatically pick up and notice those things in a production. I it's, I wouldn't be drawn to the kind of colour wash of a TV show until someone like you had mentioned it. And then I kind of go away and, and would look at things more. So it's something that... When it's pointed out, I find it really interesting to to watch that, but I think it's such a skill to just pick up on the design part of a TV show without just being like sucked into the story and the obvious dialogue to be able to look through that kind of further lens. Mm.
0: It's always interesting what individuals pick up because I definitely, I flip between my sort of writer hat and art direction hat, looking at the look of it and then being like really obsessed with the character mm. and the plot whatever's most interesting or whatever sparks someone's joy most is what they pick out of the film and i always find that totally fascinating
1: yeah i had that recently actually when sam and i were watching the crown and the new series and there was a scene between the queen and princess anne and i am such a big fan of the actress that plays princess anne erin doddy i saw her in a play in bristol when i lived there i think she just graduated drama school and it's one of her first jobs and it was one of the things I dragged Sam to, but this was one I was like, this is like a really good play. Come and see this with me. And he raved about it more mm. than me. He was obsessed with this play. It was called Junkyard. Anyway, she was amazing in it. So I'm a really big fan of hers. And yeah, now she plays Princess Anne. And there was this amazing scene. And it was shot in a way that I found really frustrating because... We got her profile for all of it This really emotional scene with the Queen And Mm. I was finding it frustrating in a way that Sam wasn't being an actor I'm probably more aware of the shots and the positions of the cameras and things like that And... I was like, she's giving so much, and I wanted to see her face. Mm. And it was it was really dark, and she had a hat on, and it was probably all very specific, stylized choices because they're obviously fantastic. The crew and the DOP and everyone that work on The Crown, obviously, really amazing at what they do. Mm. But for me, I was like, turn the camera. I want to see her face. I want to see what's going on. And they they weren't giving me what I wanted. And you know, maybe that was a choice in itself. But you're right. I think it is. It's really interesting to just see how we all watch these things with different kind of interests. I guess.
0: Yeah, completely. So I've been doing some reading as well. And I thought this one was, again, quite an interesting one to pick up on from the previous episode, the Susan Sontag book about war reporting. Ah, yes. And I read Clarissa Ward on All Fronts, The Education of a Journalist, which is her autobiography. So she does TV journalism. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting book about how she first got involved in reporting from Iraq and Baghdad and then moving on to the Syrian conflict more recently, but also like her time in the Gaza Strip. It's very solid book it's a really meaty read it's just a really sort of sucks you in she's a really good storyteller and she moves you through and balancing really well the conflict with her life with that reporter's gaze it's a really interesting change in tone as well actually through the book from her being the really naive woman entering these war zones and and her lack of reaction to the war zones as well as her reactions is really interesting that she's she's quite blasé about you know almost being blown up or all these things that happen and as as the book progresses i don't know whether it's because of the nearness of the events to her present day but that it, it gets more and more involved and darker and the and the immersion in the events become deeper and and darker she ends talking about the the syrian war and she's talking about how you get back to life after being so immersed in these things Mm. and you, you think by the end of of the book that actually maybe she hasn't come out of that war yet that she's still very much present in the war there's this wonderful bit where she um talks about coming home from being abroad and she comes back to an empty house and drinks a bottle of wine and then her husband comes home and so she dances in front of him for two hours to the same song on repeat and then yells at him you don't understand me and runs out (laughs) which i thought was just a very a very relatable way of dealing with a lot of emotions so (laughs)
1: truthful yeah to have that complete honesty about that situation that we can all go oh i've done my version of that before
0: Oh, completely. I just, yeah, I love that, that heady mix of wine and then music and then just all of it being coming to a head of just like that utter (laughs) teenage moment of slamming the door and being like, no one gets this. But yeah, it is very true as well that it is so completely hard to understand everything that she's been through and everything that she goes through every trip. And she talks about that, about how you have to believe in the life that you have back home and how you have to really want that life and you have to choose the life you have back home because otherwise you're always going to be at home thinking about abroad if that makes sense and that you Mm. have to make the active decision to to not judge all the sillinesses or the kind of mundanities of your life back home and that it is more superficial but you have to make those superficial things more poignant for yourself because otherwise it can't be your life. Or that when you've yeah, when you've experienced something really heavy, it becomes very easy to look at everything else and be like, oh, everyone's so shallow. Mm. But that it's it's believing in those shallow things. And I think that's very true for lockdown as well, that it's believing in those little joys and committing to those little joys and committing yourself to them really makes life have a lot more meaning that it's not life and people around you's responsibility to provide meaning it's for you to find meaning and joy around you but she touches on a lot of the things that Susan Sontag talks about about the sort of her detachment from from events as they were happening and wondering how on earth that could then translate to an audience back home in someone's living room and then also the idea that the press is is a fallible sort of machine. It's, it's mm. um, a bunch of people following their guts as much as they can. But she talks about the press's involvement in the Iraq war and how culpable they were for believing the line that had been spewed out by the governments at the time. And it really it reminded me of... Have you, seen, have you seen The Official Secrets with Kira Knightley? No, I haven't. It's such a brilliant film. It's a true story based on the experiences of Catherine Gunn, who was working for the National Security Agency, I believe, who sent out a memo asking these translators, she was a translator, to essentially dig up dirt in order to compel the UN Security Council to sanction the war on Iraq. And she leaked that to the press which obviously had huge ramifications. And as she had signed the Official Secrets Act, made her then a traitor. And it's about her court case and her fight for essentially freedom and freedom of speech in the face of untruths from the government. And the press being allowed to... To be uncovering the truths of the world Which I think I talked about a lot last time It made me think just
1: then when you're talking about that film Something we've watched it just the other day And it's massively stayed with me Is the a Netflix film Actually it's a film on Netflix, I don't think it's by Netflix Called The Trial of the Chicago 7 I don't know if you've heard of it no, or... So it's a 2020 film mm. and it's sort of a historic, I think it's called a historical legal drama is how they, they describe mm. it. And it follows the, the Chicago seven. It follows a real life story and it's the group of anti Vietnam war protesters, um, who all come from different groups, basically, who are all united in their mission to oppose the Vietnam war. And they unintentionally or maybe intentionally, depending on your viewpoint, caused this huge riot. And, you know, is it the police causing the problems and starting the riot and police cases of really horrific police brutality, or was it these activists inciting a riot and there's this huge trial? I won't go into it because the film itself is brilliant, but it kind of rings true of a similar... Similar vein as to what you were just talking about. And it's such a powerful film, Mm -hmm. and it's an area I didn't really know much about. And at the end, it does that brilliant thing of explaining what went on to happen to all these characters and how accurate things and things were and weren't about the film. Oh, it is a really, really moving film that I would really recommend. It's oh, so it's got a brilliant cast in as well. Sasha Baron Cohen is in it, Joseph Gordon Levitt plays a prosecutor, Eddie Redmayne is in it, and uh oh, the best of all, Mark Rylance, who I just love, is this incredible defence lawyer. It's just a really powerful watch. It's really sad as well, seeing the The way things haven't changed, looking at the way the police deal with those situations, Mm. there was so much peace brought by the protesters and they were met with so much violence and, and hostility. And whose fault is that? You know, you're allowed to peaceful protesting is completely undermined if whatever it's met with is violence and, and brutality, which in this case it was. And as we've seen in, in more recent times with protests, it can be exactly the same. And it was really staggering for us to watch it thinking, you know, this film is, is set far enough ago that we should have things should have moved on by now, mm. and um, and it really hasn't. So, it's a really really great watch. I really recommend that one.
0: How interesting! That does sound really fascinating. I'm so intrigued by the notion, which I know sounds again very obvious, and I think we touched on it last week. But the idea of non-conclusive. Reporting that you can never see the whole of an issue and you can never see in a crowd of a thousand people you can't see what's happening in one corner what's happening in another corner so even if you're there you can't fully express Mm. what's happening in a crowd of ten people you probably wouldn't be able to express fully what was happening when there are heightened emotions and there's you know noises and movement it's so difficult to know what's happening when and I just I find that really fascinating as an idea when it comes to Trying to create justice or truth or just crystallize it into a simple matter of this person against this person. It, I think that's totally really yeah. intriguing, but also something that's totally nebulous. You can never, you can never really get to the bottom of any of it. I don't think.
1: Yeah, and I think from that school of thought, there's a lot of this film that would really ring true to you, that you'd find really interesting. I, there's a specific example that I won't say because it's right at the end and it's a bit of a spoiler mm. but it's exactly that it is so interesting and I often think when you're watching these films oh if at the time of this all happening if a, an instant film had been made covering all these angles with all these depth mm. then we could have sorted out and obviously that that doesn't happen from for years to come and even then you know creative license and all who knows what was really said yeah. but I think this film explores that school of thought really really well something I think you'd really enjoy. There's a really interesting group that
0: bridges activism and art I guess called forensic architecture and they do similar things where they will take the events of an evening and pinpoint all the different things that every side is saying and create these huge maps. Last I saw them they were displaying in the ICA the Institute of Contemporary Arts but just so interesting because it's trying to work out not necessarily the lies from truth because it's i think a lot of the time it's not necessarily even lies i think it's just not quite understanding or you didn't look at your watch or you misread the time or but oftentimes forensic architecture are working with cases where they think that there is malpractice at play Mm. and they are trying to prove that through these displays and these maps they're really fascinating Oh, that's so interesting. I must look at that. Yeah, I'm going to segue on to so you speaking about the Vietnam protests. I didn't know about that there were protests, probably though. I mean, there are always protests around war, I think, but I, I didn't know actually that the Vietnam War did have protests. And the book that I've just read talks about the legacies of the Vietnam War. And it is... Wow. Honestly, I know that I speak in hyperbole all the time about most of the books that I've read (laughs) but this book is just exquisite it is the most beautiful book I think I've possibly I mean definitely read this year and possibly read in a really long time it's it's stunning it's lyrical and poetic and just exquisite it's On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vyung Mm. it's a, a letter from a son to his mother. And I think it's it's a sort of fictional autobiography. I think there's memoir in it, but I think some bits are sort of fictionalised. Though so his grandma and mother came from Vietnam after the Vietnam War to America. And it's a story of heritage, it's a story of language. His mother speaks Vietnamese and not that much English. He grows up with American English as his first language. It's about him being their translator. It's just extraordinary. It talks about heritage. It talks about his love affair with a boy called Trevor as a teenager and that boy's relationship with OxyContin and the OxyContin epidemic across America that caused so many deaths. It's just... Oh my god, I can't I can't emphasize enough how beautiful this book is. I was reading it and I had to keep on putting it down because otherwise I knew I was just gonna gobble it up and read it too fast and not taste any mm. of it and I just needed to savour each page and really make myself read it properly. Oh, it was so beautiful. Just so poignant, heartbreaking, and this really clever subtlety in the way he uses language and sort of plays it and I'm gonna read you an extract of it because i can't i can't justify how extraordinary this book was so i'm going to give you give you a taster please do you asked me what it's like to be a writer and i'm giving you a mess i know but it's a mess ma i'm not making this up i made it down That's what writing is, after all the nonsense, getting down so low, the world offers a merciful new angle, a larger vision made of small things, the lint suddenly a huge sheet of fog exactly the size of your eyeball, and you look through it and see the thick steam in an all-night bathhouse in Flushing, where someone reached out to me once, traced the trapped flute of my collarbone. I never saw that man's face, only the gold-rimmed glasses floating in the fog, and then the feeling, the velvet heat of it, everywhere inside me. Is that what art is to be touched thinking what we feel is ours when in the end it was someone else in longing who finds us
1: Oh that is lovely it's so delicious to hear it out loud as well and I I love writing like that that really captures all of your senses you can really tell the the depth of of detail that's gone into all of those all those sensory elements of his description, it's so, oh, it's really nice. When that, when it just envelops you like that as some, mm. some writing, it's so special.
0: Yeah, because no, it's dealing with some really heavy subjects. The, you know, the Vietnam War, his grandmother's sex work, domestic abuse, violence is so much part of the memoir. But it's just, it's just used very lightly and very delicately in a way that doesn't make you feel like a kind of grotesque witness but just sort of part of the movement of it all as you're saying really sensory and I've got a another little segue <laughs> as part of that I'm going to read you another little section because it links to a book of poetry that I've just been reading by Caleb Femi called *Poor*. so in On Earth We're Briefly Gorgeous he talks about the way that they would greet each other in his hometown and i'm going to read out that little passage too because being knocked down was already understood already a given it was the skin you wore to ask what's good was to move right away to joy it was pushing aside what was inevitable to reach the exceptional and i just thought that idea of everyone knowing that life is hard and difficult and and bad in so many ways and to greet people by saying what's good was just really beautiful. I'm going to read, sorry I know this is quite reading heavy all of a sudden.
1: (laughs) No I love it, it really brings it to context, it's really nice. I
0: think with poetry it's It's really hard to talk about poetry without just reading the poem if you know what I mean? Or reading what is poetic. So I'm going to read Coping by Caleb Femi. Dark-skinned boys scare everything in the dark, though really we're just trying to scare away the dark. Round here this is how we greet each other. What's good, my G? As if to say, are you safe, my G? Isn't this how you would call out to your friends if you two were in a dark place, standing on a ledge? Shout out to us boys who play out here. God knows how we do it, maybe God doesn't know. Maybe an estate, tall as it is, is the half-buried femur of a dead god, and the blue light of dawn, his son in morning, looks on the things we do when there is one less boy amongst us. How we pour the Holy Spirit out of the bottle onto the concrete where his ashes lie, stir it into clay, mould it into a new body, and like a kite in fading wind, watch his soul sink back to good earth, settle into his body like he never left. Isn't this what you would do for your friends if you too were in a dark place, standing on the edge?
1: Oh, wow, that's so moving.
0: I know, such beautiful poetry. I heard, I had the good fortune to hear Caleb speaking last year it must have been and he was so incredibly charismatic he was a sort of compare for the show and then also did a reading and he was so charismatic and I wasn't sure whether I loved his poetry or whether it was just his charisma coming through and and sort of riding Mm. the poetry but I'm so glad I bought this because it's really beautiful really moving he's got such a way and I think really interesting as well to read poetry that embraces slang and that's working yeah. with street language as well as I think because poetry is always seen as a sort of like high art or something that it's mm. just nice that it's working with words because that's what poetry is about is is using words and molding them and playing with them and
1: yeah yeah and how lovely for you, your first experience of this work to be with the poet you mm. know to, to experience the poetry and the poet together and then go on to to digest and enjoy more of his work. I think that's, it's so unusual, the amount of times we read things before we have any idea or context of the person who's written it. Mm. I think it's it's really special to hear it out loud to begin with rather than on the page and also from the mouth of the poet, how lovely.
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting way of looking at it. It is true that you so often read books and you don't have any context of the person and then you suddenly find out something great or horrific about them (laughs) and it (laughs) shapes the work entirely. But maybe we need to kind of dislocate slightly from that as Roland Barthes would say (laughs) why don't you tell me some more about what you've been watching
1: so it's a very interesting link actually because one thing I have been reading is another collection of poetry so Mm. that's interesting that we've both and I've I've really enjoyed this I've always liked poetry but I've definitely taken an unintentional hiatus from it in a life of recent times and of recent times I mean like about five or ten years. Yeah, no, I was really inspired <laughs> by your Lem me say mention. Yeah. I also hadn't been reading poetry enough, I would say, for how much I enjoy it. <laughs> Exactly, and I think when I'm brought back to it, it it's so lovely. It is like a kind of comforting blanket, and it's it's a lovely tool to dip into reading without feeling, I don't know, overly committed or you're sinking fully into a story. I just I just love the kind of brevity that poetry can bring to Mm. to the everyday. And actually, that is a a pretty apt description of this book. You probably you might have heard of it. It's called The Poetry Pharmacy, Mm. Um, and it's a collection by William. I want to say Seacart or Seacart. I did extensively look on YouTube for an interview <laughs> to so try funny. and hear him saying his name because I hate getting names I wrong. I know every um, time I'm
0: just googling uh, away trying to find someone saying their name.
1: <laughs> exactly and I found lots of interviews with him he's done brilliant speaking events but it's always like hello William and I'm like say his surname. <laughs> <son." laughs> so true
0: so funny.
1: So hopefully I've got that right William Seacart or Seacart. Anyway either way this is a, an anthology collection called The Poetry Pharmacy and it's actually gifted to me by a friend which is even more special. Mm. I think when you get a book that's meant for you from someone I just think that's I love to gift books and receiving them is so lovely.
0: I just got sent a book in the post this morning which I'm so excited to read but I am just oh. really touched by being sent a book. Yeah, it's really lovely.
1: Yeah, totally. And especially when I open this it's it's a really beautiful little red book mm. and it's called The Poetry Pharmacy and it says tried and true prescriptions for the heart, mind and soul. Aww. And I just thought, oh, how wonderful. And it is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a beautiful collection. Of poems, to bring you through and to support you or to help you distract from various points of life, mm. and it's such a lovely, simple concept that maybe have done you know in, in other forms or under other guises. But the idea of it being a pharmacy and mm. prescribing these poems, I just found that in a, as a concept so comforting. And there's a lovely foreword and introduction from him that you can also understand in more detailed context when you go onto YouTube and watch his many interviews about this collection. Basically, he witnessed as a young. He witnessed a near death when crossing the road, he was stood at a crossing and and someone stepped out and a a car had jumped the lights and this person was hit by a car and someone was resuscitating, I think the person did go on to survive but he was left in this sort of state of shock and he had some of the the blood on his sleeve or on part of his clothing and he was really struck that straight away the, the poem Ambulances by Philip Larkin came to him in that moment. He can't mm. have been eight because that would be very impressive. Maybe <laughs> I've got that wrong. <laughs> I think it's because in the introduction he talks about his relationship with poetry beginning so young mm. as he was at a boarding school and he took a lot of comfort in, in being good at reading poetry aloud and that was something he was asked to do a lot. Sorry, yes. Yeah, so that was when he was eight originally but then as a young adult this is when he was crossing the road and, mm-hmm. and this situation happened. As he was sort of re- recovering in the moment this poem came to him in this moment of anguish and... I think that really That really struck him As as how in that moment Poetry was what His soul kind of Jumped to mm. And then Moving on He was speaking At an event Or giving a talk I think And a friend suggested That at the end of the talk With the Q&A type thing Why doesn't he Sort of prescribe poems to the audience just as a a nice thing to do to end his talk and it unintentionally went on for hours you know he he did it for an hour and then they extended it Mm. and after hours and hours and hours there were still people queuing to (laughs) receive their their poem prescription and I just think that's such a nice concept and and then he got into talks to publishing it and it became it became this this collection the poetry pharmacy and and there's all these different sections you know there's chapters on motivation or self-acceptance there's love loss the world people and mental and emotional well-being you can turn to these different sections for a prescription and whatever you you feel like you need and alongside yeah so beautiful isn't it and so the poems on the right hand side of the page and on the left it's sort of a a description of why it's suitable and and what condition. It is, it is I like the mix between the medical and the the literary uh, crossovers. You know, it says at the top of the page, condition and what condition you could treat with this poem. So one that I'll share with you is the condition is for stagnation, also suitable for apathy, depression, despair or grief. And then there's a whole lovely description from him about why he's chosen this. The poem is The Trees by Philip Larkin. The trees are coming into leaf, like something almost being said. The recent buds relax and spread, their greenness is a kind of grief. Is it that they are born again and we grow old? No, they die too. Their yearly trick of looking new is written down in rings of grain. Yet still the unresting castles thresh, in full-grown thickness every May. Last year is dead, they seem to say. Begin afresh, afresh, afresh. Gosh. And so that, isn't it? It's just, I love the idea, and I'll definitely not read it as a whole. I'm going to have it on my Mm. bedside to flick through. And I, I love even not just not looking for the condition I'm feeling for a poem that's that's one way of doing it I love just opening it and going yeah I would never have said my current condition is stagnation but actually reading that and reading his his connection to why it's a a good prescription for stagnation makes you sort of seek out that part of you that might be feeling that that you hadn't maybe acknowledged Mm. I just think such a therapeutic book but so beautifully put together and it's, I think it was published a couple of years ago, but it's been more recently drawn to the public eye because the actress Amelia Clark did a kind of Instagram series based on it in lockdown. She said that she was turning to poetry a lot. Aww. And so she connected with lots of other high-profile actors and performers and, they, and she did a series where each of them read a poem aloud and it was shared online. You know, Stephen Fry did one, Helena Bonham Carter, Emma Thompson. It's really lovely. And actually Stephen Fry has given a quote for the book on the back which describes this book as... Here is balm for the soul, fire for the belly, an arm around the lonely shoulder, a matchless compound of hug, tonic and kiss. (laughs) And I think that is just almost a poem in itself. But it, it's just I think a really nice How charming exactly It's just such a nice reminder that I think poetry really is a tonic As well as something we are, we're perhaps brought up with As a necessity Do you remember those you know, mm. dreaded anthologies at school That you had to learn and, and annotate And go into your exams being able to describe And I personally enjoyed that Because I liked poetry And I loved lit- literature as a subject But I know, you know from Reminiscing over school days with friends You know caroline duffy and the connection that everyone just holds with her in their gcses and it's not one of joy Mm. (laughs) despite her brilliant work i think poetry is is put in a corner of school times and learning in not a positive way and actually i think it's relevance to the everyday is really celebrated in this book and i really love it
0: well it's also poetry it occupies that heightened world that opera or ballet sort of sit in of this is i was just going to compare it to ballet exactly for some sort of elite person but then it also occupies a very kitsch realm of the greeting cards the Mm. motivational quotes that i love but are very kitsch or things that are printed on coffee cups or or pillowcases and yet there's this beautiful middle ground between the kitsch and the elite of just the human i guess yeah. yeah, it's so true that it can be something that warms you and tickles you and brings a smile to your face and mm. touches that glint of sorrow in your heart. So beautiful. Yeah.
1: It's, it's been a really enjoyable, like I said, not so much a read, but a flick through. And it's, yes. um, yeah, provided me with really light moments that I didn't know I needed, which mm. has been good. And then slightly on the other hand, though I wouldn't, it sounds like I'm about to criticize this book. It's not, <laughs> it's more of a self criticism on my part because I've started reading it and just got really not very far through at all. So I can't even talk about it in full, but I've begun quite a while ago and I'm not getting very far with it as I say a book called Milkman by Anna Burns. I don't know if you've read it. Yes
0: I haven't read it but I've heard a lot about it.
1: Ah well okay I'll tell you what I think and then I'm interested to hear what you've heard. So it won the Booker Prize in 2018 and I think it was also shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction last year and I was really excited. It's really interested me and I have just really struggled and it's really confronting to struggle with a book that I'm so keen to read Mm. it's a funny dynamic I'm really intrigued and interested by the themes and the topic but I've just found it really slow to get into and I'm just finding it challenging and I think it's not a book I open and get lost in I have to really concentrate and frequently reread sentences or read them aloud to just get my brain in gear with what my eyes are are taking in and I since before this I because I, I hadn't finished it I didn't want to spoil it for myself but I did want to have a little look online as to its general reception because obviously it's been so critically acclaimed and you know a lot of there was a, f- a few things that were similar saying that it, it can be a really challenging book and then other, other articles saying it's not challenging it's a triumph. It's interesting it kind of reassured me to persevere rather than just go oh it's not for me mm-hmm. and I, I sort of one night had the attitude of going oh life's too short to read a book I can't engage with let's read something else but I'm now Kind of over that hurdle, and I'm determined to battle through. But it's set in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, and we we follow a an unnamed 18 year old girl. And like I said, I'm not hugely far into the actual plot, but at the moment we're sort of are following her as she's seemingly trying to disappear into this what is a very heightened community in a heightened situation. She literally walks around with her nose in a book to try and escape this world potentially. And what I love so far is the descriptions of. Everything is ours or everything is theirs. You know, even to the the mundane things like which type of tea bags. Oh, they're our tea bags. No, they're their tea bags. Mm. You know, the roads you're allowed to run on and the people you speak to. And it's such a opposing life to live in. And the other choice is that Anna Burns doesn't doesn't name anyone. So the main character we don't know her name. She refers to a boy that she's seeing as we hear of him as maybe boyfriend, <laughs> not a name. He's just maybe boyfriend. <laughs> We've all got one of those <laughs> <laughs> And then of course The Milkman Which the book is called mm. So the Milkman is a, a man Who effectively My take on it so far I mean if people are listening to this Who have read it Might be like No no she's got it all wrong Wait till she gets to the next chapter um, But at the moment The Milkman is a man who is effectively begins to stalk her Quite openly And really confidently To the point that Everyone is really disarming for her You know she goes for a run And suddenly he just runs along next to her oh. And she's you know Like this is It would almost that kind of weird politeness in us To not just, you know, he's not done anything So he kind of can't say stop But also I'm uncomfortable, this is weird And he does it so openly And so confidently that everyone in her area And her family and friends and Everyone presumes she's having an affair with him Mm. Even though she doesn't know him She doesn't like him, in fact she's scared of him But his constant presence with her And how that appears to the outside world Is so different to her decisions on on what's happening to her and and that's honestly about as far as I've got because it's so ah, I can't describe it it's it's brilliant I think the language and the choices are are clearly really well written but it's also complex in its language and its syntax and I have to frequently like I said reread sentences and I just haven't quite settled into the voice of the book Mm. and I'm wondering if I will or if I won't and if if that even is a bad thing or if it's just a new thing and I don't know how do you feel about books that are that are physically harder to read I know it sounds obvious but I'm just intrigued by the fact I can't quite penetrate this story yet because of yeah. the language and the syntax
0: i had that this week actually because i started reading italo calvino's if on a Winter's night a traveler which is again a really interesting beautiful book but it does this thing it's very very self-aware it's writing about the process of choosing a book the the basis is that you've bought a book for whatever reason and you read it and then you suddenly find that they've muddled up the printing and they've reworked it so you've so you've been through the story of finding the book and then you're reading the book and then book's wrong so you go back into the present I guess of of the person Mm. going back to the bookshop and exchanging the book and then they start reading the next book and then that book also has a printing error so they go back and then they take you on like a fictional journey of the sort of imagination of what the book might be like and it just it was so sort of staccato in that sort of stop start Mm. way of you kind of get really immersed and I mean that's essentially what the book is trying to say that it keeps on talking about this idea of you're getting immersed into a book you're getting immersed and then suddenly it's cut short and how frustrating that is and how irritating and and annoying that you've become so immersed in this world and then it's been ripped away from you. But I just couldn't do it. I just, I just, I got sort of three or four chapters in and I just thought, I I can't keep on, because you have to invest yourself in a book, don't you?
1: Yeah. And you have to persevere and then there comes a point where you don't want to persevere, you want to be taken away by it. Yeah, and that if it doesn't pick you up and take you away but instead keep on putting you back
0: down onto the ground, it's just like so frustrating.
1: (laughs) So frustrating and I love that time of the evening where I start getting ready to, to go to bed and I'm mm. excited to go and, and see the characters that I haven't read since the night before mm. or whenever I've last read my book and I just didn't have that with this and I like I said I don't think it's a criticism of the book because it's clearly done brilliantly no, well it's probably more it of a
0: can just be not right for you in that moment put it down pick it up next mm. year and you'll suddenly find it's the most poignant book you've ever read I find that all the time totally. where books suddenly yeah. will affect you in a certain way and it I don't know what it is it mm. just some something in your life just sparks with with whatever you're reading I I put it down and come back to it
1: yes I have had a bit of a break from it and I started reading something else which I'm also not very far through so I'll leave that for another time but I don't want to give up on it especially because of the content of this story Mm. and I've said a few times recently I just want to learn more about that point of history especially coming from an Irish family and I Mm. have family members who obviously lived through that time and I just know shamefully little about that huge point of history Mm. So I am determined to engage with it at some point, whenever that is, and be either challenged by it or frustrated by it or end up loving it. Either way, I do want to give it a go. I started finding some really interesting things about the author herself online, and but I reluctantly clicked away because I didn't want to spoil the book for <laughs> myself eventually, but it sounds like she's a really interesting author as well. But yeah, I just think it was an interesting dynamic for me to be so desperate to want to fall into this story mm. and something just not sitting with it. And like I said, I was vaguely comforted by the fact that it was it was a critically acclaimed, but also in a way that, you know, clearly people have found challenging, but that shouldn't put us off completely. No, um,
0: there's a difference between books that are challenging, you know, that are difficult and are hard to read and then books that you're just not vibing with. I think there's a yeah. difference between those two as well because the ones that are difficult to read are definitely worth you know, pursuing. It's definitely worth looking up that word or rereading that sentence to try and balance the sentence structure or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, no, if you're not vibing with it, then I would save it for another day when you when you are vibing with it. <laughs> exactly.
1: But something I was vibing with, a nice little segue there, um, was... I <laughs> how weird uh, our segues <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this TV show could not be more different to this book. Actually, except for the the vague Irish connection, been what I've watched and I've obsessed and I've told everyone to watch it. A Channel Four comedy called This Way Up, mm-hmm. which is written by and stars Ashling B, mm, um, I love the comedian. Oh, me too. I'm just I've been devouring everything of hers because I just think she's so brilliant. Mm. So yeah, this way up it's a channel four comedy. There are six short episodes, probably about 20 25 minutes each, which is refreshingly concise. I feel like but as well it's not just um 20 minutes and therefore it's fluffy and irrelevant. It's 20 minutes and it's deep and it's interesting yes. and funny and everything. And I love that because I think storytelling, you know, time is is a huge tool and you know you can use that as you will when you're making a TV show or a, a film or whatever, but I do think it, it's hard to keep it that powerful and pack such a punch but also have those mm. concise really digestible episodes. Yes. So yeah, it's it's written by and starring Ashling B and I like I said I'm a massive fan of hers. I think, you know, I love her comedy and she's a fantastic actor, which I really like because sometimes we're so as a society we're so good at putting people in boxes, mm. you know, you see someone on a panel show doing Yes. You know Would I lie to you And then you see them In a a gripping Like Ashling B You know Before she did Lots of her More recent comedy stuff She was in The Fall with Gillian Anderson
0: Yes Um, Oh my god I was just mm. gonna say I do remember watching that And I kept on Giggling when I saw Ashling B Because I was just Prematurely expecting her To make a face Or something
1: (laughs) Yeah exactly And I just love that I think so many Creatives these days We all are You know Those of us who aren't You know, we're not famous and in the limelight And so therefore it's totally fine that we all live multi-hyphenate worlds Where we are, you know, writer, art director, podcaster All these different things, that's fine But then as soon as you do that in the limelight You're only allowed to be one thing And if you try something else, Mm. especially as a woman I think you're definitely not allowed to be Like the amount of men who are both in and direct films And are absolutely applauded for it And then seemingly sometimes it's slightly more greedy If a woman does all those things as well Though that is changing But anyway, I digress So... (laughs) It was lovely to see her All of her skills come through in this She's so funny And she's a brilliant actress And of course now a brilliant TV writer And actually a little bit before I watched this A couple of weeks ago I listened to her on the Adam Buxton podcast Which I love He's one of my favourite podcasters And she is just a brilliant It's a brilliant, brilliant episode For loads of reasons In context of this So she talks a lot about her father Who died when she was three And so she was told, her and her sister were told by her mother when he died that it was either an accident or something to do with his back, I think. You know, he'd always had these back problems and I think it was kind of, it was accounted for in that sense. And it wasn't until she was, I think, 10 that her mother sat her and her younger sister down and explained, maybe not her younger sister at that point, but explained to her the concept of of suicide and that her father had taken his own life. Oh, gosh. And she writes an incredible article about this in the guardian quite a few years ago now i think it was in 2017 Mm. she opened up about it and so she talks about it in the podcast in terms of in referencing that article and why she wanted to talk about it at that time and how she came to a point in her own mental health that she realized sharing things was was really helpful to other people given her potential influence with her audience and just wanting to talk about it before anyone else spoke about it for her type thing mm. So hearing her Talk about the article She wrote is interesting As well as the article itself And I just think it was She's really Interesting the way She describes How when he was Taken from her You know when she Thought he had died He was this hero That had been Taken from her And all her family Members used to say How much she looked Like him and You're funny and Your dad was funny And she loved that And he, she kind of Adored this ghost of Him in their house And then as soon As she found out That he had taken His own life it That just massively Turned and he went From her hero that Was taken from him To this selfish man That, that ran away from Them that, that left mm. And left her and and she thought she wasn't enough And if she was enough He wouldn't have done that And and then there was the, the matter of a, a suicide note that, that didn't mention her or her sister And therefore, you know, they didn't matter, clearly And it's so hard to read um, But it's so brilliantly put With her trademark wit And sharp commentary on that fine line be- Between grief and life going on mm. So the article itself and her on that podcast are brilliant And I mention all this Because This Way Up, the drama Is a kind of a dive into mental health as a topic, but done in such a brilliant way. And I think that is all because of the authenticity of where it comes from. Mm. You know, she has dealt with mental health on all these different levels, you know, the raw ache of her father not being present and the journey she's been on through that over life. And her own mental health as a, as a kind of consequence of that. She's really open about that in interviews that she's given recently regarding the success of the show. Having described all that, it sounds really deep and emotional. It's just so funny. It's a brilliant six-part <laughs> six, six part story that doesn't, you know, it's not uh, biographical. It's not about uh, autobiographical. It's not about her dad or anything like that. It's about this character that she plays called Ornya. Ornia who we meet coming out of rehab at the beginning of the first episode and straight away, you know, the kind of comic authenticity is there of someone who maybe has either got personal experience of this or knows people who have and it's coming from a place of truth not a place of just creativity which I think is so important when when talking about these things and you know she's she's coming out of rehab met by her sister and talking about the fact that there wasn't really any good snacks and she really thought there would be a jacuzzi and the flyer looked a lot nicer than it was and all of these things Mm. and we we follow her then through kind of her life coming out of this most poignantly so, the relationship between her and her sister, who's played by Sharon Horgan, who I also love. is another brilliant Irish actress. Also, you know, friendships and a lot of loneliness and the kind of emotional weight and trauma that her sister has for her, knowing what's happened and what could happen and that that duty and responsibility, which I think is a really a huge part of looking after someone or being connected to someone that's struggling with their mental health in a, in a quite a severe way like she is. And so you see all of this, but in really fleeting moments on the whole it's a brilliantly written very sharp very funny lovely story with these severe moments of Mm. of diving into the kind of darkness of mental health and I just think that's such a good reflection of a tv show about mental health you know you see the shows that don't do so well because they just dive into it and they don't have that balance of life yeah and I've read in things that she said about it that she was just she was bored of the mental health issue coming up on telly and being done in such a maudlin way. Mm. And she really wanted a show that shows you, you can be depressed and still have a lot of humor in your life. You know, yeah. you can be really struggling, but still have laughter and normal relationships and other things going on. It's not completely consumed by that. Obviously, that can be the case. But in this situation, it's, it's not. It's like I said, it's so well written and so well performed. And. I think it's quite unusual That I was in a, as invested as I was In 20 minute episodes mm. They managed that really nice balance Like I said of comedy And taking you in these fleeting moments To darker places It's so obvious That an authentic Background has has brought a lot of truth to this show. On the whole, like I said, I've I've talked a lot about the mental health aspect of the show, but it is so so funny and so well written, and we we follow her through. She's and she's really she's a really likable, lovable character. She's brilliant at her job. She teaches English as a foreign language to adults, and she's so funny with them and so caring. And she cares so much about everyone in her life, and she's really selfless. And you really really love her as a character. And I think creating all that in these six 20-minute episodes is pretty impressive and a testament to the writing.
0: Yeah. God, that sounds wonderful.
1: Yeah, I just, I really loved it. I just thought it was so, so much fun to watch, but struck such a chord with me as well. It wasn't just fun. I've recommended it to everyone that I know to watch it. And I just think at the moment with that balance of Mm. normal life, inverted commas, and mental health it's so prevalent to everyone at the moment with lockdown yeah, and definitely. with I did I've had a couple of conversations recently where people have quoted to me things yeah. about the horrendous suicide rates versus actual covid deaths during this time and, and which is on the rise more. Gosh. And I looked before having this chat with you about stats and things. And it's quite hard to find anything conclusive mm. given that we're in the midst of it at the moment, but I did read a really interesting article from the British Medical Journal that actually I think was only published a week or so ago that was kind of trying to conclude about suicide rates during the pandemic whilst it didn't have anything kind of conclusive entirely one quote at the end that I'll read says of greatest concern is the effect of economic damage from the pandemic one study reported that after the 2008 economic crisis rates of suicide increased in two-thirds of the 54 countries studied particularly among men and in countries with higher job losses and I think that kind of, that feeling of being on the tipping point mm. at the moment is is really rife amongst society. I think we're all aware of that knife edge we're balancing on mm. and having seen what's happened before and to have journals, you know, aware of that and quoting it, it, it does send a, a, a fear through me of what what the situation is to come. And I think this show really shows how someone who's really happy, really funny, living a really... Successful life in terms of her she's great her job and she's there's a lot to be learned from her plastering over the cracks and even those who are really worried about her and really in in, integral to her life often missing things Mm. because she's not transparent with them and the power of that and I just think it's done in a really accessible way for us all to relate to
0: yeah and I think quite often we think that we're being incredibly transparent just by feeling the feelings but actually the process between feeling the feelings and then saying them out loud is actually there's quite a chasm between those two things and I think that can often Mm. lead to someone thinking that they're being very transparent but actually still bottling up.
1: Totally. Totally and I think I just want to emphasise that I've just yeah I've definitely gone on about um, (laughs) the the deeper side of this show and it's honestly so funny there's a lot of TV that's funny and films and and podcasts and all sorts of media that I can put a funny stamp on but there's very few things that literally make me laugh and chuckle out loud and I'll remember later in the day and it'll give me a smile and this is one of those I just think she's absolutely genius with her comedy
0: it's probably that sublime mixture isn't it of darkness and lightness yeah
1: Totally. I think there's a, there's a couple of moments that really rang true to me. There's a moment that really stood out to me where Ornia and Shona, which is played by Sharon Horgan, are at a kind of a family party and their mother is just adamant that they will get up and sing. And I have lived that my whole life have you? going, to, you know, with an Irish family going to Ireland. It's just, it just happens, you know, you just, <laughs> ah, you will, you will, you will, you will, you will. And you stand up and you have to do your bit or do your song or do your thing. <laughs> And just watching this, I, It's really funny The moment And how they play it And I was just I was howling But also cringing At the reality That I think Anyone with Irish family Will empathise with Hugely So yeah It's a brilliantly Brilliantly written show And just really really funny A great a great tonic At the moment
0: Oh wow Well you've totally Sold me on that one Completely And what a lovely note to end on as well Yeah for sure What we're all feeling I think at the moment uh, Everything's
1: heightened isn't it mm. The
0: happy's are happier <laughs> The sads are sadder I don't
1: know there's yeah, just a real kind of sure. poignancy
0: to everything at the moment it seems
1: Totally yeah And I think there is also going to be a season two So that makes me really really happy Oh <laughs> well there we go <laughs> Positivity oh, to look well, forward to Thank
0: you for bringing that into my life
1: <laughs> I'm excited No No problem and thanks for the chat. Thank you. This is this has filled me with motivation and inspiration and I can't wait for next week. I'll speak yeah. to you then. Speak later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.